The following is a presentation of WYN, Westminster Youth Ministry. In the world of youth ministry, students have lots of questions. However, sometimes they simply don't have a place that they can ask them. In this study called Burning Questions, we have given students an opportunity to write in questions anonymously. Each week we will take some time to answer one of those questions to help our students see how we faithfully wrestle with these issues. We hope you enjoy. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11. We're not going to read that just yet. We'll get to it in just a little bit. And tonight we're going to answer a question. So uh, Caleb Peterson asked me to do... Oh, no, he's not here, but that's why we're recording it for Caleb Peterson. What? Luke chapter 11. Everybody say hi to Caleb. Hi, Caleb. What's up, Snap? Why other branches of Christianity use different books. And I want you to see me when I do this. Everybody looking at me? I'm putting branches in quotations, okay? Because not every group that we're going to talk about tonight are groups that we would consider true Christianity, okay? Some are, but not all of them, okay? So tonight we're going to look at three different groups of books that some other forms of Christianity use, the Apocrypha, the Book of Mormon, and the non-canonical New Testament books. Yes, Gideon. And I just you specified the non-canonical That's the Apocrypha. We'll get to that in just a little bit. So let me pray. And then we'll spend some time discussing this. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this evening. I ask that you would be with us as we look at uh, how we can interact with our brothers and sisters in different denominations. We ask that you would please give us grace as we do so, but also give us understanding as to how we can interact with these different books. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to tee this up by giving you all an illustration. I hope that this is helpful. Okay? I love Star Wars. Okay? I grew up watching Star Wars. I haven't seen a new one yet. Please don't spoil it for me. But if I want to know more about Star Wars, what should I do? Google. Research it. How should I research it? With Google, okay. okay. What would be the best thing for me to do if I want to know information about Star Wars? Talk to Caleb Peterson. Watch the movies, okay? Now, we can debate the quality of certain movies over others, okay? But in order for me to know more about the Star Wars universe, it's best for me to go watch episodes one through nine, okay? You can skip one, two, and three. You can skip eight. I already talked about the quality of certain movies, okay? Episodes one through nine are what we would consider the canon of Star Wars. Now, I can see Darth Vader in episodes four through six, okay? I understand he's the villain, but if I want to know more about his backstory, what do I do? I watch one to three, okay? I watch four to six, and I know Luke Skywalker is the hero. But if I want to know what happens after that, what do I do? I watch seven through nine, okay? So there's a continual story. If we want to learn more about certain characters, we can find out from other movies. So the source itself helps direct our understanding, okay? Now, there are other places I can go to get information. There are Wikipedia pages, okay? Not just Wikipedia, but Wikipedia, okay? There are books, there's blogs, documentaries, video games. There are Star Wars books that aren't really considered canon, but are fun, fun reads, okay? Now, while those other sources may be helpful in understanding things, are they what we would consider the truth of according to Star Wars? No, okay? Because not everything on Wikipedia could be correct. Not everything in those Star Wars books could be correct, but everything in episodes one to nine, if you want to learn more about something, you go where? You go to the source, the origin. Okay? Now, for us as believers, what is our source? Jesus, yes, but the scriptures, the Bible. Okay. The problem that a lot of people have is they want to go to other places to get true information. They want to go to other places to seek out truth. They want to go to other books in order to understand God. But if we believe what we believe about the Bible, do we know what we need to know about God? Yes, because he reveals that to us 
in the scripture. So the question is, why would other, and again, I'm going to use the quotations here, why would other branches of Christianity use different books? Why do you think? Well, they may not like something in the Bible, so they like trying to correct it. They may not like something about balance? They may not think that it's part of the truth. Okay, yeah. Vivian? Okay, yeah, they can mistranslate it. Gideon? They may um, want to put certain details that they want to put about a specific event, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And do y'all remember what when Titus was here a few weeks ago, he's talking about how Muhammad looks at the Bible. What what would he say about the Bible? That it is corrupted, right? That we don't have the true Bible, and that the Quran is the true Bible. Okay. The Book of Mormon. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Mormons believe that they have the true scriptures in the Book of Mormon. Now they they don't discount the Bible, but they say that their revelation that they have in the Book of Mormon is the true scripture. Okay. So there's a misunderstanding of the scriptures. So that's why some people might use these other books. So tonight, again, we're going to talk about the Apocrypha, the Book of Mormon, and briefly, we're going to talk about some of these non-canonical New Testament books, which actually are a lot of fun if you read them, because there's some wacky, weird stuff in those. I'll give you some examples later. So let's talk about the Apocrypha, okay? Do you all know which Christian group would use the Apocrypha? The Catholics. The Catholics, okay? So the Roman Catholic Church would consider the Apocrypha, or at least parts of the Apocrypha, to be what we would call the canon of Scripture. So if you look at a Roman Catholic Bible, it's going to look a little bit different than ours, okay? The Apocrypha consists of books that were written around 400 B.C., up until the time of Christ. Okay? The actual word Apocrypha means hidden. So these are hidden books. Collectively, the Protestant Church, what we would consider the church that broke off in the Reformation, denies that the Apocrypha is inspired. Okay? We wouldn't consider that the Holy Spirit directed the writers that wrote the Apocrypha. However, the Roman Catholic Church in about 1546, about 40 years after the Reformation, had a council that declared that some of those books were considered inspired. Now, do we, as the Protestant Church, believe that the Apocrypha is a bunch of heresy? No, we don't. There's actually some pretty helpful information in a lot of those. It fills in a lot of history, talks a lot about people that actually existed and experiences that they had, talks a lot about the persecution of the Old Testament Jews that is, is not written down in other places. So we wouldn't look at the Apocrypha and say, that's just a bunch of baloney, it's heresy. There is helpful information in it, but we don't consider it what? We don't consider it a source, okay? We don't consider that it was driven by the Holy Spirit. Again, there are several examples and thoughts and ideas that are echoed in the scriptures, things that are good, things that are true, but they are not the absolute truth. Let's go back to my Star Wars example. It'd be like going to a Wikipedia page and finding information about Luke Skywalker, okay? Could it be true? Yes. Could it be helpful? Yes. But episodes four to six is my best bet, right? So here's where the rubber meets the road, okay? As Protestants, we have roots in the Protestant Reformation, Okay? which uh, one of the tenets of the Reformation was sola scriptura, which means only only the scriptures, okay? Only the scriptures. Only the canon that we believe was given by the Holy Spirit should be our source, okay? These extra-biblical books, while they may be helpful in some ways, are not what God was speaking to us, okay? Our biggest emphasis is we're going to focus on the Bible that we have because that's how God speaks to us, okay? For in it we find God speaking to us. Okay, so that's a little bit of background information about the Apocrypha. We'll talk about how we interact with that in just a little bit. Let me give you a little brief history on the Book of Mormon, uh, which I actually have not spent a whole lot of time studying Mormonism, so this is actually pretty helpful for me. Who here has ever met a Mormon? Ever had a Mormon knock on their door? I've had Mormons knock on my door, but for some reason I'm always in the shower when they knock on my door. I've always wanted to interact and talk to some Mormons, but I'm always either in the backyard or taking a shower, and I never get a chance to talk to them. My best friend in high school was a Mormon, and to this day I regret not having that conversation with him because I really feel like we could have at least discussed the differences between Christianity and Mormonism. I want to be careful when I say this because I want to be respectful, but Mormons don't believe the same thing that we believe about Christ. Again, we want to love Mormons well. We want to care for them. We want to point them to Christ. But Mormons have a very distorted view of who Jesus was. 
Very different. If you, if you read their scriptures, if you look at their practices, Jesus is not the same as he is to us. Okay? So our goal when we interact with Mormons is to point them where? To the true Jesus, the one that, that died for us, the one that saves us. They believe that Jesus saves, but they, they have a completely different view of, of who he is, where he came from, and what his goal was. Okay? So the Book of Mormon is the text for the Church of Latter-day Saints. Okay? If you ever go to Utah, you'll see Mormons everywhere, and they decide to settle there. The Book of Mormon is a collection of writings from Jews who lived where? Can you take a guess? Utah. Well, maybe not necessarily Utah, but these were Jews that came from what we would consider the United States of America and Canada and Mexico. Okay, so the Americas. According to Mormons, there were some Old Testament Jews who somehow made their way over to America. And it's actually a pretty interesting story of, of how they came about. There's a magical wind that took their boat and somehow got them over here. And they settled here okay, sometime between 2200 and 420 A.D. Joseph Smith, who's the founder of Mormonism. Uh, and in the 1800s, when he was only 17 years old, he received a prophecy from a prophet named Moroni. And this is what Moroni told him. He told him to go look in this hill near his house for a buried stone box. Okay, This was in New York. He lived in Manchester, New York at the time. And in this box, supposedly, Joseph Smith found these golden plates with a reformed ancient version of Egyptian written on it. And he was told to spend time translating these. Okay, Now, here's where things start to get really sticky. Okay, He didn't actually translate it. Okay, Do you know what he did? He used what's called a seer stone. You know what a seer stone is? Yes, it's, yeah, it's supposedly this, this magical thing that helps you interpret and figure out things without actually translate. Okay, so he didn't go and like look at Egyptian and then translate in English. He used this sort of mythical way of translating. Okay, so it's all kind of it's mystical, and ironically, no one else was allowed to see these plates until he was done translating. Okay, no one else. So even the whole process of him translating these things, no one really was really in, in on it. Okay, so there's a lot of secrecy to it. Okay, and after he translated, there were what were called the 11 witnesses to this. And ironically, most of the 11 were either financial backers of Joseph Smith or they were family members. Okay, so there was some conflict of interest there. Okay, and there's also a very big disparity on whether or not they actually saw the plates. Okay, so a lot of them said they saw the plates and then they were asked later on, they said, well, we saw the plates when they were wrapped in something. So we never actually saw them. Or they, they claimed that they saw them in a spiritual way that their eyes were given a spiritual glimpse into seeing these plates. Their text actually talks about great cities that were built up, like immense Solomon-like temples. Do we have those in America? No. Okay. So, again, it's just clouded in mystery. So, again, it's all very mystical. There's not a whole lot of reality to it. Okay. So, I want to tell you that, not because I want you to go and blast Mormons and say your faith is bogus and it's weird. I want you to kind of have a general understanding that there's not a whole lot of actual solid evidence that goes into how this book came about. So that's a little bit of background on the Book of Mormon. He would later publish it, and it became the... They use the Bible, but they claim that the visions and the prophecies that were given to this group of people in the Americas was the truth. And then the rest of the story goes that there was this great war where all those Jews that were in America ended up getting killed, and then the, the American Indians were the ones that were left. There, there's a lot more to that story. Go read it. Which should give us a, a little bit of sympathy towards our, our Mormon friends because there's such a big misunderstanding. Okay? And we need to love them through that. Okay? We don't need to just say, you're done for believing that. No, we want to care for them. Okay? Yeah, we'll get back to how we interact with that in just a little bit. Let me briefly talk about these non-canonical New Testament books. Okay? In fact, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this 
at all. There is a great level of diversity in these books. There's a ton of them. Okay, I can't comment on all of them, but I, I want to say this. These books often have a disciple's name attached to them, so you see things like the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of Thomas, and a bunch of other ones. But there's actually very little connection between the actual apostles and these books. In fact, I would venture to say there's no connection between them. They were simply given to the apostle that ministered to a specific area. So uh, the Gospel of Thomas. Thomas ministered in a certain area, and this book came out of that area. We never want to think that Thomas actually wrote the Gospel of Thomas, because, as we'll touch on a little bit, it is chock full of heresy. Okay? In fact, some weird, strange, bizarre heresy. Okay? Like I said, some examples of the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Philip. There's something called the Gospel of Truth. Some of these books were found in 1945 when I think it was a sheep farmer. A bunch of jars that were hidden in a cave, and he ended up finding these texts that had been buried for almost 2,000 years. Um, so, again, we'll, we'll get back to that in just a little bit, how we interact with those. So let's talk about why we don't use some of these. Okay, So let's go back to the Apocrypha. Okay? And the, the emphasis on why we don't use any of these goes back to our idea of sola scriptura. Okay? We value the Spirit's work in the Scriptures. We value that the Spirit guided the writers of the Bible. Okay? These faithful men and these councils that came to the conclusion that the books that we have, the 66 books, okay? the 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, are the ones that were guided by the Spirit. Okay? So the Apocrypha. Remember, the Catholic Church affirms parts of the Apocrypha. Okay? Uh, not all the books, but some of them. So how do we interact with this? How do we interact with our Roman Catholic friends when they show us their Bible and there's, there's all these books? The Apocrypha, like just the ones that the Roman Catholic... Like, do they call it that? The Apocrypha books are kind of the label for everything, but they're only certain parts that they would put in their actual Bible. So books like First and Second Maccabees. There's another addition to Ecclesiastes that's in there, so the Book of Wisdom. I think there's 13, maybe 14 that they add in there. So one of the most striking things that we can observe is this. So let's go back to the Star Wars illustration, okay? Star Wars movies never pay homage to things that are on a Wikipedia page, right? So Star Wars is never going to reference someone's Wikipedia post, right? Okay, so you're not going to watch Star Wars. Luke Skywalker's not, not going to stop and say, okay, you know, what do we need to know about this enemy? Let's go to the Wikipedia page. Or let's go back to this book, okay? Wikipedia, sorry. Okay? Darth Vader's never going to stop in the middle of the movie and say, okay, what happened in this video game? Okay, I need to figure out what happened, therefore I can figure out what I need to do. So the source is never going to go back to something that wasn't the source. So when we look at something like the Apocrypha, we view what is the source? The Scriptures. Okay? How many times do you think the Scriptures quote the Apocrypha? Zero. Okay? Not once. How many books of the Old Testament do you think the New Testament quotes? Now, I'll give you a hint. It's not 100%. But how many out of the 39 books do you think? Someone take a guess. 36? 39. 39? No, not 39. 38. Out of the 39 books, how, how many do you think it's quoted? 26. Okay? So 26 out of the 39 books are quoted. Now, you, we, we can hear that and say, well, that, well, why aren't all of them quoted? Well, some, yeah, some, some of the books are very short. Some of them are repeating information. Okay? But the point is, there's overwhelming evidence that shows that Jesus and the, the New Testament Jews had a great understanding of what was included in the scriptures, right? What was considered canon, okay? what was considered the whole of the Old Testament. Okay? And not once did they ever quote the Apocrypha. Okay? And that should tell us something. Okay? It tells us that Jesus didn't value those books. He didn't see them as being part of how God worked through the writers. Okay? So let's look at our Luke 11 passage. And we're just going to look at a very brief example of how Jesus shows us this. Someone read Luke 11, 49 to 51. You're not going to catch this right at your first glance, but I'm going to explain it in just a second. Also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Okay, thank you. 
Okay, so what are the two names he mentions there? Abel and Zechariah. Okay. Now, is Zechariah the last book in the Old Testament? No, it is not. But the context that Jesus is speaking here, he's talking about prophets that were killed and their blood was shed. Okay. Zechariah was the last Old Testament prophet to have died by martyrdom. Okay. Now, Zechariah was written far earlier than the apocryphal books. Okay. So, what that tells us is that Jesus clearly has a beginning area and an end area to what he considers the prophecy of the Old Testament. Okay? He's saying, from the prophets, from, from Abel all the way to Zechariah, those that have shed their blood in my name, this is truth, and this is what we need to look to. Okay? And the Jewish people also had that understanding as well, that there was a clear distinction. Okay? So, they wouldn't look at these apocryphal books and be like, curious, like, oh, maybe these are part of it. No, they had a clear, distinct understanding of what God had given to them. Okay? So, Again, the Apocrypha provides us with some historical context, which is good. Do right, you have a question? Yeah, so like you're saying that most of the Apocrypha comes after, like, the last Old Testament. Yeah, so most of it was written around f- roughly 400 B.C. to... So they're all after, like, the last Yeah, they're all after, after the, those. So, so it provides a good picture of what happened between the time of the Old Testament prophets and Jesus' coming. And uh, all in all, can you read them? Yes, okay? It's perfectly fine for you to read them, but... What do we need to do when we read them? We have to have an understanding that it's not going to speak to us like the scriptures will. Okay? We need to view it far less as important than the scriptures. So you can go and read it for historical information, and that's fine. But you need to have an understanding that this is not truth. That it's not going to be beneficial for my walk with Jesus in any kind of way. Okay? Now, the Book of Mormon. I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. The reasons are fairly obvious why we don't use the Book of Mormon. What did John say at the end of Revelation? Okay? He says that... Whoever adds to these books or adds to these writings, okay? Jesus is clearly demonstrating that the end of Revelation is the end of the scriptures, okay? There's no more needed. Jesus has come, okay? He's going to come again, and he's going to reveal, you know, the best truth to us and bring us to heaven. But for the Mormons to look at the Book of Mormon and say, that, no, 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 John was just kidding. He, you know, there, there's more coming. They just didn't know about it yet. They're adding to it. It's just wrong, okay? And even the circumstances, as we just saw, about how the Book of Mormon came about are sketchy at best. There's not a whole lot of reliability to it. Okay. And actually, outside of Mormonism, there's no historical acceptance to the idea that Jews came over to America and lived here for so long before they were wiped out in some strange war. Okay. So there's nobody outside of Mormonism that accepts that that actually happened. Okay. So they're the only ones that believe it, which should tell us something. Okay. And lastly, these non-canonical books, I'm going to sum this up very quickly. Most of them contain what we would call something called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is a heresy which pretty much tells you that your salvation is fully dependent on you finding some secret knowledge hidden deep within yourself. Okay? A lot of the New Testament writers, Paul, when he's writing letters to the churches, he's combating this very heresy. Okay? First through third John, very much going after this specific heresy that was creeping into the church. Okay? Now, what is wrong with that? What is wrong with the view that there's this secret knowledge inside of us that's going to save us? Aiden. Yeah, because there's nothing inside of us that can save us because we're, we're absolutely sinners, right? So a lot of those books contain that, okay? But they also contain some very strange things. So the Gospel of Philip actually has this account where the, the cross starts talking to people. Wait, while it's Jesus' dead body? No, no, this is, this is uh, after he was taken off, okay? All right, Gospel of Thomas, okay? Ladies, I'm, I'm going to tell you something from the Gospel of Thomas. This is very disappointing to you. The Gospel of Thomas ends by saying that you have to become a man in order to be saved. Okay, so, sorry, sorry. So, can you see why we would look at those books and say, these don't really fit with what the scriptures teach us? Okay. Yes, we can say that with great clarity. Okay. We can say that with great clarity. There's also other non-canonical New Testament books that talk about affairs that Jesus had with Mary. Okay. Okay. Now, not his mother, not his mother. Okay, so, again, 
when we look at those books, we can clearly see that there's something that's not right here. Okay. So again, can you read them for information? Yes. For curiosity to see what some people may be reading? Yes. But read them with great care. Okay. Read them with, with a great level of discernment. Okay. And again, never read them as if they're actually the gospel. Okay. Now, let me ask these questions. Is the Apocrypha heretical? The Apocrypha. Is it heretical? Do we, do we consider it heresy to be completely against what the scriptures? No, it's not. Okay. It may be helpful, but it's not the word of God and should never be used as so. If you have friends that are Roman Catholics, challenging them head on with this and saying, well, you're just wrong because you believe in this is probably not the best way to go about it. Engage with them. Okay? Read it with them. Okay? Show them their need to look at what we were given as the original scriptures in a polite and loving way. Again, don't be afraid to read them with them. Is the Book of Mormon heretical? I would answer this with a resounding yes. Again, there's a complete mischaracterization of who Jesus was, what his work was, what happens after we die. Okay? Uh, Mormons think very different things about salvation. They think very different things about the afterlife. Okay? If you've ever met a Mormon, you probably know that they're very moral people. Okay? But the reason that they're moral is not because they're wanting to be more like God. The reason that they're moral is because they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to whisper salvation into their ear. Okay? So their whole life, they're waiting for this moment. Okay? My best friend in high school was probably the most moral kid I've ever met. Never cussed. Never smoked, never did anything, okay? He was this really sharp, good, solid dude. But I didn't know so much later it was because he was waiting for the works-related salvation to happen in his life, okay? So we need to be kind with our Mormon brothers and sisters. And we need to be, if we know that, that that's what they're struggling with, that can help how we interact with them, okay? Now, the, the challenge with dealing with Mormons, and, and I, I, don't, I don't know what the best solution to this is. It, it's just going to come with practice and, and conversation. There's a verse, and it's from... 2 Nephi 29.6 in the Book of Mormon. Okay? And this is what it says. It says that, uh, I should have written it down here, but I don't. But the, the gist of it says, only a fool says you only need a Bible. Okay? So they're going to look at what we have as the scriptures and say, well, the Book of Mormon says that we need more than just the Bible. Okay? So uh, let me ask you, what, what do we do with that? How do we even interact with that? The Bible says they only need Okay, that's a good start. Okay. Uh, and we're, we're going to get to more of that in just a little bit because I, I do have some discussion questions. But the point is, challenging a Mormon straight on, it's going to be very difficult, okay? But it shouldn't be that scary because we have what? Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. And, and what did Jesus promise? What did Jesus promise in the Great Commission? That he would always be with us, okay? Last question. Non-canonical books, are they heretical? Yes. Maybe not all of them, but there are. there is a lot of heresy in many of them. So we need to take great care when we read them. So all in all, your relationships with your friends, if they read any of these... It's, it's perfectly fine to engage with them in those. It's perfectly fine to read these books. But please do so with a great level of care. Okay. okay. That's all I have for tonight. I do have a couple questions, but let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for this time, Lord. It's a difficult topic and a lot of information tonight, but I ask that you would please give us opportunities to engage our friends that may be reading some of these books and help us to do so in a God-honoring way. In the of Christ, amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an eye out for more audio upcoming from WYM.